Well, hello again. This is Paul and Anthony Davis, life coach here in Las Vegas, Nevada. You know, um, this is a very special podcast. First of all, I want to thank you know everyone that tuned in and kind of listened to my message and things that I've said. I'm very impressed that 75% of my listeners are women. I appreciate you so much. And I do want you to know that, you know, you can always give donations. I'm always accepting them. It helps me to do my program a lot better, a lot smoother, more time to research and do the things that I need to do. And so it's always right there and I'm always appreciative. Um, one of the things that I wanted you to know that as a life coach, uh, my background is mental health. So when you're following me, these are the things that I'm focused on. I'm focused on a healthy mind, a healthy body, and a healthy spirit. And you know, 2020 was very difficult. We had the virus, people lost their jobs, and it's been a very emotional time. It's one of the things that I believe strongly in when I became a life coach. It wasn't just the talent or the ability to communicate or you know, just something that I wanted to do or something that I was good at. I ran groups in psychiatric hospitals. I talked to a lot of people to get better in their lives. And that's, that's a blessing. Today what I want to talk about is the changes that our country and our world is about to go through. I don't know if you're ready, but you're going to need to be ready. On November 3rd, 2020, the fate of the country is going to change. And you've heard me say this before, if you've listened to any of my other podcasts, that we're heading into socialism. This will be a socialist country. You're following people that you believe are better. And everyone has their right to vote on whoever they wish. It says the fact is is that when you you know something, you need to tell it. I mean there are two different kinds of people in the world. There are leaders and there are followers. And a leader has to have so much courage. Being a leader is a very lonely, lonely place to be. Because you have knowledge. You understand what motivates people. And the goal of a good leader is not to talk. Good leaders are observers. They listen. They pay attention. And they only lead when no one else is leading. Then there are followers. They'll do anything. They'll do anything for power, anything for control. But a lot of times they're cowards. They will not stand up for what's right. They'll just be there, just existing, just waiting for the moment to get what they want. I'd rather be a leader than a follower. And with my basic feeling today what I want to say to my follow, my people that follow what I do you're leaders what makes you leaders that you'll tune in and you'll listen so you want to grow you want to do something special with your life 
and I appreciate you so much. But from what I'm looking at, when I listen to people, when I talk to people, when I go out, it's a lot of very lonely, scared people right now in our society. They're worried. In fact, they're downright afraid. They believe they're making the right decisions. They believe that they're heading into change. But they don't understand. They're not paying attention. They're not listening. If somebody tells you, I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to defund your police departments. I don't care about your safety. I don't care about the Constitution. I don't care about what you want right now, what you need. It's about me. It's about my concerns. You need to pay attention to that. You need to listen to them. When they tell you they will follow the science and they will lock you back down again, you need to hear them because they're telling you exactly what they're going to do. When you sit back and you hear about their corrupted practices and the things that they're doing, pushing to the far left, heading into socialism, heading into government control of human beings, you need to listen to that. You need to hear that. But what has happened over the period of time, we've become dumbed down. We've allowed social media to control our lives versus picking up a phone and calling someone and talking to them. We would rather talk to them over social media, tell people all of our businesses, all of our thoughts over a computer. And we're losing out on the most important fundamental thing that human beings have each other. A report was published on August the 21st. It says that many adults are reporting specific negative impacts on their mental health and well-being, such as difficulty sleeping, 36%, eating, 36%, increases in alcohol consumption or substances used, 12%, Worsening chronic conditions, 12% due to worry and stress or the or coronavirus. As the pandemic wears on, ongoing and necessary public health measures expose many people to experiencing situations linked to poor mental health outcomes such as job loss and isolation. After November 3rd, you may see yourself locked back down again. I don't know if we've just become a dumb society. We've got people who are supposed to be super smart, have master's degrees, doctor degrees, and stuck on dumb and stupid. They seem intelligent when they open up their mouth and talk. But if you really listen to these people, they tell you, I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to raise your taxes, which is going to hurt the poor. I'm going to open up the borders and just let anybody come in that they want to. You can't run a society like that. That's not leadership. Maybe you don't understand that. Maybe many of you simply don't care. And you know, 
Sometimes you get exactly what you want. And many times you get exactly what you deserve. Marcus Garvey, a brilliant man. He said, never forget that intelligence rules the world and ignorance carries the burden. Therefore, remove yourself as far as possible from ignorance and seek as far as possible to be intelligent. There's an African proverb that said a speaker of truth has no friends. And that's really true. If you have the courage to open up your mouth and speak the truth, boy, you'll have hardly no friends. People don't want to be around real people. They're real comfortable in a fake false world. You will have that on November 3rd. Because as you're standing in line talking about change, I've listened to the far left people. They don't care anything about you. Their whole thing will be about themselves. And once they get power, the game will be over. Oh, you'll complain three, four months later. You'll say, well, I didn't bargain for this. Yes, you did. You didn't pay attention. You didn't listen. There's no difference that you're getting a knock on the door and you open it up and 50 people are saying, I'm going to take over your house because we like your home. And then you open up the door, hand them your car keys and leave. If someone tells you they're going to hurt you, they're not playing. They're going to hurt you. And then I was sitting back thinking the other day, on the world that I'm living in, what if you were to wake up one day and go through an experience that not only shook your life, but changed the entire world? And what if that experience was not experience from this world? What if it was experience outside of this world and outside of your comprehension? I say that because I'm going to introduce you to two people. Oh, you may never have heard of them before. They basically are pretty much forgotten, except they haven't been forgotten at all by the United States government. In fact, they were taken quite seriously. But you'll think you're listening to the Twilight Zone. Oh, I guarantee you, I'm not Rod Sterling. The names, like so many other names, except this is when systematic racism was very real. This is when love had a color problem. You see, this is a period where if you were white and you loved a black man, if you were a female or the opposite, well, you needed to be in another time because you were despised. So when you walked down the street in this era, you had to watch your back. The names of Barney and Betty Hill. And well, this is their story. Barney and Betty Hill were an interracial American couple who claimed they had been abducted by extraterrestrials in a rural portion of the state of New Hampshire. The year, 17, September 19th, 1961. The abduction lasted on the 19th through the 20th. 
and it was the first widely published report of an alien abduction in the United States. The energy was by Betty. Is it chasing us? That course, that thought coursed through Betty and Barney Hill's mind as they drove down the empty, winding country road in New Hampshire, White Mountains. It was a September night, again, 1961. They hadn't seen a car for miles, and a strange light in the sky seemed to follow them. When they finally got home, the port's moth at dawn, they were far from relieved. You see, they felt dirty. Their watches stopped working. There were two hours of the drive that neither one of them could remember. What had happened? It should be noted that with the help of a psychiatrist, the quiet couple eventually revealed a simple startling story. Gray beings with large eyes. had walked them into a metallic disc as wide as Betty said as her house was long. Once inside, the beings examined the couple and erased their memories. Ironically, their experience would kick off an Air Force inquiry, part of the secretive initiative called the Project Blue Book that investigated UFO sightings across the country. The incident would also become the first ever widely publicized alien abduction account and shape how stories like it were told and understood from then on. Debate continues as whether the husband and wife were liars, crackpots, or simply sleep-deprived people who later recovered seriously scrambled memories. The Hill Road trip was spontaneous. It was a well-earned break. Barney decided the couple needed, as explained in the Interrupted Journal, a 1966 book that collaborated on with author John J. Fuller, Barney worked a grueling night shift at the post office, driving 60 miles each way, 120 miles a day. Now, Betty's job was handling state child welfare cases, which was no easier. The little free time this biracial couple had was devoted to their church and activities related to the civil rights movement. After 16 months of marriage, Betty and Barney saw this trip through Montreal and Niagara Falls as a delayed honeymoon. You see, they left so impulsively, they had no time to go to the bank. So before it closed, they had only $70 in their pocket. On the last night of their three-day trip, the tired couple sipped coffee in a Vermont diner to recharge before driving back. Now, Barney figured... If they pushed through, they could beat the wind and rain from an approaching hurricane. They left the diner around 10 p.m. 
estimating that they could reach their red-framed house in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, between 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. at the latest. But you see, as they drove, strange lights in the sky gave another reason to hurry. At first, it looked like a falling star, but grew larger and brighter with each mile. Barney, a avid plane watcher and World War II vet, was sure they had nothing to worry about. I mean, it's just a satellite. He assured Betty it probably went off course. The light seemed to move with the car. As Barney steered down the curving mountain road, the light zigged and zagged, ducking past the moon and mountains, ridges, and only to reappear moments later. Sometimes it seemed to move toward them in a game of cat and mouse. Had to be an illusion, they thought. Maybe the car's movement made it seem like the light too was moving. Curiosity overcame them. A couple pulled over at a road stop and they wanted to get a closer look. The two binoculars Betty saw that the white light was really an object spinning in the air. Barney, she told her husband, I mean, if you think that's a satellite or a star, you're, you're being completely ridiculous. But Barney knew she was right. He had an IQ of 140, which was noted in the Fuller's book. Barney was also a pragmatic man who wouldn't give a flying saucer without not even a second thought. The night was too quiet for a helicopter, a commercial plane, or even a military jet. Even with a hotshot pilot, he didn't want to spook Betty, but he, he was becoming concerned. What was this light, and why was it toying with them? About 70 miles past the diner, the object hovered just above the treetops, approximately about 100 feet above them. Barney abruptly stopped the car. Now, keeping the engine running, he shoved a handgun he had hidden beneath the seat into his pocket and rushed into the dark field, leaving Betty in the car. What he saw was big as a jet, but as round and as flat as a pancake. My God, what is this thing? This can't be real. Behind rows of windows, gray, uniform beings seemed to look right at him. So Barney recalled he tried to lift his hand to his pistol, but somehow couldn't. A voice told him not to put down his binoculars. He had a startling thought. We're about to get captured. Yelling hysterically, he ran back to the car and barreled down the road as Betty tracked the craft, craning her head outside the car window. Without explanation, Loud, rhythmic beeps sounded from the car's trunk. The couple felt instantly drowsy and soon lost consciousness. They came to around two hours later and 35 miles down the road. Back home in Portsmouth, they tried to make sense of the night. See, Barney felt compelled to examine his 
body's lower half. Both seemed aware of puzzling presence. In the weeks and months after, Betty, an avid reader, checked out books from the library discovering the civilian UFO group called the National Investigation of Aerial Phenomena. She also reported the sighting to the United States Air Force, worried about radiation. In the coming years, Betty suffering from disturbing dreams and Barney developing an ulcer and anxiety, the couple sought mental health. The two met with Benjamin Simon, a psychiatrist and neurologist who specialized in hypnosis. That was a mainstream technique at the time. And although months of weekly sessions, Simon helped the couple piece together what they think had happened. A vessel had landed on the hill's car, putting them to sleep. Afterwards, gray beings walked them up a long ramp and into a spacecraft. Once inside, the hills were separated, taking turns in the examination room that had curved walls and a large light hanging from the ceiling. Each was asked to climb up on a metal table. The table was so short, Barney's legs hung over the side. During the examination, the beings removed Betty and Barney's clothing, plucked strands of their hair, took clippings of their nails, and scraped their skin. Each sample was placed on a clear material, not unlike a glass slide. Needless, connected to long wires, probed their heads, arms, legs, and spine. One large needle, around four to six inches long, was inserted into Betty's belly. This pregnant test left her twisting in pain. Throughout a being Barney and Betty called the leader, watched from the side. After Betty's examination ended, beings rushed back into her room, excited. Betty laughed, explaining that Barney had dentures, a fact of human aging the being struggled to understand. Later alone, with the leader, Betty asked where the craft had flown, admitting she knew little of the universe. Being joked with the being said, if you don't know where you are, there wouldn't be any point in telling you. Later on hypnosis, she drew a star map shown to her on the ship. In 1965, the Hill story was picked up by a Boston newspaper. And after that, everything changed. You see, the quiet couple story became the subject of the best-selling book and movie starring James Earl Jones. The standing civil servants had become celebrity abductees. The Hills weren't the first to spot a UFO or even report an abduction, but their story did capture the nation's imagination and was so widely publicized it has helped shape how we talk about alien encounters and abductions to this day. Before the Hill story, alien encounters were friendly according to Mr. Christopher Batter, a professor of sociology at the California Chapman University. Now, some aliens even lived on Earth and commuted back on the weekend. Could it be that they still do? I mean, live on Earth. Once the Hill story became better known, 
abduction accounts shared certain characteristics, such as medical examinations and missing time. Aliens with large heads and big eyes, Duke Grays, and UF circles became classic sci-fi staples in personal accounts and pop culture. Close encounters of the third kind and shows like The X-Files. The Hills stuck by the story. Despite years of skepticism and detractors, like many abductees, the couple never felt false memory or sleep paralysis that explained their experiences. Betty became a known voice in UFO research and claimed she was visited multiple times in the decades to follow. You see, Betty and Barney changed the world in one day. The National UFO Reporting Center, which is based in the United States, uh, maintains statistics about global UFO sightings. Notably, they're ticking up again. There were just over 3,700 reporting sightings in 2018. And in 2019, there were 6,889. Now, so far in 2020, there has been 4,688 UFO sightings that have been reported. As reported by CNBC, the Pentagon has formed a new task force to investigate UFOs. The Identified Aerial Phenomenal Task Force, or UAPTF, continues an effort to investigate unexplained aerial incidents encountered by the U.S. military Navy. The new task force will overseen by the Department of the Navy and will report to the Office of the Secretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security. And in April, the Pentagon classified these videos captured by the U.S. Navy pilots that appear to show unidentified flying objects. Barney and Betty are real heroes. They did not let the hate of the nation stop them from love and the commitment to truth. They dedicated their lives to each other in a nation divided by race, prejudice, and true systematic racism. And yes, they believed in God. I want to believe that people can be better than they are. I want to believe that we are better. But more importantly, I want to believe that after November 3rd, we don't mess things up any worse than they are. Because if you think that racism is not going to hurt you by putting people in an office that don't care anything about you, but you think they do, and they're supported by actors and athletes and people who are telling you that it's going to be okay and we've got to make these changes, then I don't think you understand. Maybe you might want to check out Venezuela, see how they think about socialism. But here's something very interesting also. 
Barney Hill died February 25th, 1969. You see, he was only 46 years old. And Betty Hill died October 23rd, 2004. Well, she was 85. This is Paul Anthony Davis, life coach, Las Vegas, Nevada. I wanted to share that with you. Hope it makes a difference. Take care of each other. See you next time. Goodbye.